Let's pray, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for breathing forth the words of eternal life and Holy Scripture. May we receive their truth with faith and love, lay them up on our hearts, and practice them in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, verses 54 to 62 is our scripture reading and sermon text for this morning. Luke 22, 54 to 62. Luke 22, verses 54 to 62. This is God's word. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, Another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, You will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Jesus was the greatest pastor in history. And the special pastoral care that he gave his disciples has never been equaled, never been matched. And what he said to them, he says to us. And we know that because the Holy Spirit recorded it for us in the Gospels, so we can read what we need to hear too. Four times in the Gospels, four times, Jesus told Peter and the disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray, he told them. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them every time you bow your head and talk to God. Every time you pray, you need to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Justification, the gospel, by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, on the person of work in Jesus, of Jesus alone, it gives the believing sinner peace with God. Peace with God that is true shalom, a true wholeness of fellowship with God. It's perfect and it's unbreakable, peace. And that justified and adopted sinner, however, will find themselves engaged in an irreconcilable war for the rest of their life. Conversion to Christ, it's not a minor shift or two regarding some of our moral sensibilities. That's not what it is. It is a complete reversal of slavery to sin to being a slave of the Lord now. To being a servant of sin to being a servant of righteousness now. Because you can't serve two masters. No one can. One master will be despised, Jesus said, and the other will be loved. Prior to conversion, we served sin and we hated God. After conversion, we serve God and we hate sin. But we know that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that characterizes our entire life between now and the end. So what's the advice? What is the command of Jesus? Watch and pray, he says. 
Thus saith the Lord Jesus to every one of his followers every day of their lives. Watch and pray. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Stay alert and pray. Why? Our spirit is willing. My heart has the best of intentions to serve the Lord and to do this and that great thing for the Lord and not commit these besetting sins anymore. But the flesh is weak, said Jesus to Peter. The greatest cure for our lapses into sin is as simple as that little phrase. Jesus made it so short. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Guard and pray. Keep on watching. Keep on praying. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what is evil? The world around us and all of its ungodliness, the devil, and our own sinful hearts. Jesus said it to those tired and sad disciples. Watch and pray. You're tired and sad and weak? Watch and pray. He taught all of his disciples to pray, not to be led into temptation, but delivered from evil. Watch and pray. What did Peter not do? Watch and pray. He told him over and over and over again, watch and pray, watch and pray. And what did Peter not do? Watch and pray. We sin, we do foolish things, we do selfish things, hurtful things, cutting things to others. What do we not do either? Watch and pray. Remember the admonition of God's word, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So the Holy Spirit tells all of the redeemed people of God, watch and pray and flee from idolatry. Watch, pray, flee. Watch, pray, pray, and flee. The steps by which Peter fell, they're so common to God's people. You see it over and over in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. All of us can tell stories on our own lives. They're clear in the narrative. In this passage before us, someone pointed out that we have strong proof of divine inspiration of Scripture. If the Christian faith really was an invention of uninspired and evil men, they would certainly not have included such an embarrassing historical narrative wherein one of the chief and most important apostles of Jesus denied him three times. That wouldn't be here if this was the invention of men. You know, one thing Egyptologists consistently complain about it, as ancient Egypt is a hobby of mine. I love to study and watch documentaries. They complain, we don't know what the, the reigns of these pharaohs like, were really like because you look at their tomb inscriptions and you look at the stuff that they wrote and it's a bunch of lies. It's propaganda. They said they fought these battles. We don't know if they even did. The Bible from beginning to end, it it paints man in a very bad light. I mean, think about it. God creates a good creation and man's destroyed it by the third chapter. And the whole world is destroyed three chapters after that because of how bad we are in a flood. Israel's lurid history, it's presented in full color with all of their idolatry and immorality and murder and unfaithfulness and all the prophets of God that were sent to warn them to repent that they that were persecuted and killed by Israel the new testament presents not just Jesus's closest disciples but even the churches they planted in a very dark light they had all sorts of problems all sorts of traitors and turncoats and infighting and all sorts of sin 
The sinfulness of mankind, it shows up very clearly even among the redeemed people of God. Those born again by God's spirit are sinful too. Even they who are not the slaves of sin any longer still have monumental battles with, with sin that they often lose. And let us learn from how they succeeded and let's learn from how they failed too so we don't duplicate their errors. This text of scripture is filled with darkness and light. It's, it's filled with, with, with error and truth. It's, it's filled with, with foolishness on Peter's part and grace from God. You see such a contrast here. It records a major collapse into very serious sin, but stands as an inalterable reminder of the Lord's glorious patience and his kindness toward his disciples, despite their struggles with sin. And the thing is, I want you to know this as we go through this text of scripture. While all this happened, Peter really did love Jesus. Even when he denied him, he he did. He really loved him. And he really was devoted to him. That's true of a lot of us too. A lot of Christian people, when they've had monumental, huge collapses into sin and vice, they, they really do love the Lord Jesus. They do. Don't think that Peter suddenly hated Jesus. Why do you think he went out and wept bitterly? Why did he go out there and cry so hard? Because he really did love the Lord. He did. But he was also very overconfident. And that's the first point I want to to discuss with you. Peter's overconfidence. And I just want to give you a review before we get into the text here. I just want to talk about Peter real quick here. Remember, small gradual steps are what usually lead a person to, to fall into serious sin. And the steps that Peter took, they're recorded by the gospel authors. And we would do well to notice them. The first problem with Peter here, the first error he made was his incredible over-self-confidence. Proverbs 16, 18. What, what goes before destruction? Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Remember Peter's words in the previous scene just a short time before this passage here where Jesus is arrested? Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. You see verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, that he may shake you violently. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Peter even puts down his fellow disciples in response to Jesus telling him, you're going to deny me. Matthew 26, 33. Listen, he says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be. It's one thing to be overconfident. It's, it's one thing to be confident. It's another thing to be overconfident. It's, it's another step in the direction of pride to stand in a group and announce, I'm the strongest one here. They may all flake out on you. I never will. And that's exactly what he did. So the first step, Peter was overconfident. He was overconfident. The second step, he neglected prayer. Peter neglected prayer. Many people do not know this, but are often surprised to learn that the longest section of John Calvin's monumental work, the Institute of the Christian Religion, the longest section of that entire work, some 2,000 pages in our English translations, is the section on prayer. It is one of the most uplifting, encouraging, convicting things you could ever read. It's often printed as a separate little book. John Calvin on prayer. Convicting stuff. Encouraging stuff. John Calvin said this, It was not without cause that our Lord himself, when he would engage in more earnest prayer, withdrew 
into a retired spot beyond the bustle of the world. Thus reminding us by his example that we are not to neglect those helps which enable the mind in itself too much disposed to wander to become sincerely intent on prayer. So let me translate that. Turn off the gadgets. Take a walk somewhere and make sure no one, unless they know how to use passenger pigeons, can find you. (laughs) Jesus told Peter to pray lest you enter into temptation. He told him, Peter, I know you guys are sad and tired and confused and are at a real weak spot. Watch and pray. Peter did not pray, but it's amazing. His self-confidence persists despite that. What a lesson for each of us to learn, isn't it? Cultivating a good prayer life, a robust prayer life. It's a huge challenge in the culture of perpetual distraction that we live in. But if we would watch and pray, we have to learn to do it well. We have to learn to do that well. We need to turn off everything. Go somewhere alone. Take a walk. Go somewhere quiet. Ask God for strength to resist sin. Ask God for strength to love strongly. Strength to do everything well that the weak flesh that we have is constantly telling us not to do well. Peter is overconfident. Peter neglected to pray for strength to resist temptation. He's overconfident and he's not praying. That's a powerful combination for a fall. Overconfidence and not praying. The third step was his lack of decisiveness. I want you to think about what Peter's been up to here lately in the narrative. One moment he's asleep when he was told to pray. The next moment he's chopping off someone's ear with a sword. He's going into battle. He's Rambo. He's going to take on a whole Roman cohort of soldiers by himself. The next, he's running. Then he stops and turns around. Then he's following at a distance. One point of application here. Let's decide now what we'll do when our besetting sins come and knock on our door. That way we look more like a soldier of Christ with our eyes forward, steadily marching, and less like a decapitated chicken. His lack of decisiveness. His lack of decisiveness. He's overconfident. He's not praying. And he's vacillating all over the place. And the fourth problem, the fourth thing he did wrong, he was around bad people. It's clear that Peter was really hoping nobody would recognize him. I mean, he didn't walk into the house there, into Annas and Caiaphas' house. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm one of Jesus' closest disciples. You know, often Christian people think they can mingle with and be close to ungodly people. And just sort of conceal the fact that they're one of Christ's disciples. And just remember something. It is not health that is contagious, but sickness. And if there's 10 sick kids in church, and there's one healthy kid at church, the parents of the healthy kid don't call the parents of all the sick kids and say, Hey, mine's healthy. Bring all your sick kids over. Maybe they'll catch his health. Don't don't think that you can mingle with the ungodly. That you can go hang with them and not be influenced by them. And not catch their ungodliness. Or that you can conceal that you're a disciple of Christ for them for very long. All these factors. All this stuff. He's overconfident. He's not praying. He's vacillating. And then he's hanging around people that are his enemies. The enemies of his Lord. They made it easy for Peter to choose the easy way out when he was faced with a hard situation. A frightening situation. Overconfidence and pride. Neglecting prayer. Being indecisive. Mingling with the ungodly. Isn't it amazing how often we sabotage ourselves by our own foolishness, our own pride, our own bad decisions and neglect of everything we know we ought to do day in and day out? Peter would deny his Lord three times. 
He would pretend he didn't even know who he was. Familiarity with this narrative, I think it blunts the, the, the punch of how serious of a sin this really was on his part. This is very serious what he did. After our Lord's resurrection from the dead, there's, there's an amazing statement. The angel at the tomb, the angel says to the women, the angel at the tomb says to the women that came there, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. <laughs> go tell his disciples and Peter, as Peter will have been uh, demoted now. He's not a disciple anymore. The angel excludes Peter from the group. Why? Peter's still a disciple. He still loves Jesus. He, he's still going to be greatly used of God. But why? Because restoration needs to happen. Repentance needs to happen. And in John 21, Jesus is going to ask Peter three times, do you really love me? Do you love me? Why three times? Because he denied him three times. He said three times under divine oaths and self-cursing, I don't know him. It's a very serious sin, a grave sin against Christ to distance ourselves from him because of public opinion or because of mockery or because of friends or because perhaps even people in our church won't like us anymore. It's a serious error, a terrible vice. It's an act of treachery and treason against God to pretend you don't know the Lord Jesus. Are you one of those? You think we're all on bobsleds to hell? You really think that? What are you going to say? You tell them the truth. Yes. Mark 8, 38, Jesus said it. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of the gospel, whoever is ashamed of the biblical teaching on how many biological sexes there are, anyone who's ashamed of that, anyone who's ashamed of God's truth that there are not Darwinian races of the human race from different ape-like hominids around the world. Anyone who's ashamed of that. Anyone who's ashamed of the simple teaching of scripture that homosexual desires and actions are condemned. They're named and condemned by the word of God. And so is men who behave in an effeminate fashion. That's named and condemned in scripture. Anyone who's ashamed of the exclusive claims of Christ on the salvation of sinners. That's a very serious offense against God. It's a very serious offense against him. And Peter was guilty of that very thing. He didn't want anyone around that fire to associate him with Jesus. He was embarrassed of Jesus. He was ashamed of Christ. Ashamed of the righteous one. Ashamed of the Savior of the world. Now look at verse 54 and 55. Let's look at the text now. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. Why is he doing this? I've always wondered, why did Peter do this? Why did he follow at a distance? Probably, he was probably determined to show Jesus he was wrong about him. You're wrong about me. What you said I'm going to do, I'm not going to do. The, the three denials. But he probably also wanted to show the other disciples that he would stand his ground and be brave. Just watch, I'll do it. Remember, he said, I'm the best one here. They may all deny you, I'll never deny you. And he says, with all of those other disciples standing right there, it had to have been embarrassing to Peter. I say to you before the rooster crows, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny three times that you even know who I am. And Peter's got to be thinking, I'll prove them all wrong. I mean, it's been a really eventful night for Peter so far. And he can't seem to make up his mind exactly what he wants to do. 
The adrenaline probably still pumping a little bit there. I would assume that was the first time he'd ever severed an ear from someone's head. Jesus was taken to the home of, of the high priest. He knows the high priest does not like him. Remember Annas and Caiaphas? Remember their lucrative money-making scam there in the temple? Remember that we learned when Jesus cleansed the temple and got everyone out of that huge courtyard there? What was supposed to be a house of prayer? Jesus said, you guys have made it into a den of robbers. You've turned it into a place of merchandise. Remember how they sold doves and lambs in that place for 10 times their normal amount under pious pretenses? Remember how they did that? People would come to Jerusalem. They'd bring their own lamb from their own flock. And the priests, oh, there's a, there's a flaw in your lamb. So you got to buy one of ours for 10 times the price. The historical sources said that. They would inspect people's lambs and find the tiniest little thing wrong with them. So they had to buy one from them. These, these guys, the, the high priest's house was a real nice place. And they really didn't like Jesus. Remember, he disrupted their business for the last week of his life. He cleansed the temple and threw everybody out of there. He tore that place apart. Remember what Jesus has been doing for the last few days? Every day, where is he? In the temple. In the big, huge courtyard. They're doing what? Healing people, teaching, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, healing every kind of sickness. And that was Annas and Caiaphas' business he was disrupting. Jesus is going to Caiaphas' house now to be tried. And it was a big house with a big courtyard. Now, what we need to realize here, what we need to see is there were three phases to Jesus' trial here. The first two phases are before Annas and then before Caiaphas. And remember, Caiaphas is uh, Annas' son-in-law. So Caiaphas is married to Annas' daughter. Now, just FYI, having a trial in the dark of night like this was illegal. It was against the law to do this. And that's why they eventually have a third phase after the sun starts to come up. Why they do that? To legitimize all this nonsense. To rubber stamp the verdict they had already arrived at illegally. Peter's denials take place during these trials in front of Annas and Caiaphas. And Peter was well aware that Jesus had told him, you're going to fall. You're going to fail this very night. How this must have ate at Peter's heart. How embarrassing would it have been for him? And while Peter is boasting and even putting down his fellow disciples, Jesus silences Peter by telling him, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Peter's actions are the actions of a man here. He's just determined to show Jesus he's wrong. He's going to show those other disciples they're wrong. Hey, he was brave enough to attack a huge group of people with one sword, right? Shouldn't that have shown shown Jesus? That's never going to happen. Look at me, Lord. I'll fight for you and die right now if I have to. Peter's the only one of Jesus' disciples who followed at a distance, right? Where are all the other ones? And we do meet another disciple. We know there was another disciple in the courtyard of the high priest in John 18, 15 says that. But we're not given his name. We don't know if it was one of the inner disciples or if it was a disciple that was just another follower outside the 12. We don't know. Some think it may have been John, but he's not named. But really, the only one of Jesus' 12 disciples that we know for sure followed after he was arrested was Peter. Doesn't that show Peter's not going to let him down? He's going with him, sort of. He's going to show Jesus. I'm going to show you all that you're not right about me. It wasn't just an idle boast. I'm determined. And Peter tries his best to blend in and remain in the shadows. But then his moment of truth comes. And look, look who it is that exposes him. You see it in verse 56? And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
One of the commentators said this, it took only a menial maid to fell the chief of the twelve. Gone were all his high and heroic protestations to Jesus. Gone all the spurious courage from his heart and from the hand that had snatched out the sword in Gethsemane. Here stands the errant coward who is unable to confess his heavenly Lord and cringes in lying denial, end quote. What's remarkable here in this entire episode is this, listen, significant time elapsed between each of the three denials. They didn't all happen all at once. It's not like someone kept pressing him and, it, and then he said it again and he denied him again. It wasn't like, it, it wasn't like boom, boom, boom. It's the strangest thing. You know, when we sin, I know you all know what I'm talking about. It's almost like our rational faculties are temporarily suspended by our crude and terrible desire to sin. Didn't Peter perhaps think to maybe, you know, regroup or think, oh, okay, that was one. All right, let's get serious now. Don't let it happen again. Notice the beginning of the next verse. You see verse 58? A little later, another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. A little later, the three denials didn't happen all at once. After each of them, our gracious Lord gave him plenty of time to think. Think, Peter, watch and pray. What did he tell you to do that you haven't been doing? Watch and pray. This is a good time to start. One of the three check marks is, is boxed now. The first came from a lowly servant girl, the mighty Peter, the, the armed warrior with a sword ready to fight an entire Roman cohort for the cause of Christ. He's reduced to a puddle by a little servant girl. But at least in verse 58, in verse 58, it's a man talking to him this time. But the result is the same. Another denial. You see verse 58, a little later, another psalm and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And then look at the opening words of verse 59. You see it? After about an hour had passed. Think about it. He's not thinking, it's okay, two out of three. Can't let this third one happen. An hour goes by. Peter had an hour to reflect on what he had just done. An hour. And this text of scripture ought to terrify us. Why did Jesus insist so much to those disciples? Watch and pray, guys, lest you enter into temptation. Watch and pray. Because, dear congregation, without his help, we're no match for this. Jesus had just taught his disciples in the upper room. He had just taught them this that night. John 15, listen. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Listen carefully now. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. How soon Peter forgot. How soon we forget. Look at the rest of verse 59. You see it? Another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. And Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Before he could even finish the sentence, he hears the sound of the rooster, just like Jesus said. We know from the other Gospels, this last denial, it was the most vehement on Peter's part. Matthew 26, 74, listen to the scripture. 
Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. I was looking at those words. What do those words mean? Curse, that's like a prophetic curse, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, when they pronounce the curse of God on people. He pronounced curses, divine curses on himself. May God damn me if I'm not telling you the truth. I don't know who he is. I swear by the God of heaven and earth, I don't know who he is. I don't know him. Pronouncing curses on himself, divine curses, and taking solemn oaths. I don't know who he is. Dear congregation, let us never believe ourselves to be above the commission of any sin, no matter how terrible that sin might be. Don't ever think you're above anything. We're not. We're not. Okay, verse 61. See it? (laughs) Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Now, had Peter actually forgotten about that? No. But when he heard the sound of the rooster crowing, it was brought to his mind afresh what Jesus had told him. And that was the third time. And Peter knew it was the third time. And isn't it amazing in God's providence and the shuffle of people and Jesus being moved around and Peter probably moving away from that fire somehow, he locks eyes with Jesus right after he does it. How could a person be more broken than that? Jesus probably heard him pronouncing curses on himself, swearing to God, I don't know him, I don't know him. And their eyes meet. What a shattering moment. What a painful look it must have been for our Lord. You know, to know that another human being that you thought was your friend, someone that you really trusted, to know that they're ashamed of you, that really hurts. That really hurts, even if you are the incarnate son of God. Rejection hurts, no matter who you are. Betrayal hurts, even if you are God in human flesh. You know, Jesus was never anything but a perfect friend to Peter. Never anything but a perfect friend to him. And when push came to shove, Peter let Jesus down. And Peter failed him badly. In verse 62, you see it? And he went out and wept bitterly. You know, there's different kinds of weeping, different kinds of crying and grieving. Weeping over the death of a lost loved one is, is one thing. Weeping because you got physically hurt, you got injured. That's another kind of weeping. Weeping because you're ashamed of something you did is different. Shame and guilt and regret because of sin that we've committed in the past, those are some of the hardest tears that will ever fall from our faces. Weeping over such things is a good thing. But it says in the text here, he didn't just go out and weep. What does it say? He wept bitterly. This was loud. This was, how could I have thought so highly of myself? How could I have done this to my Lord like this? If any of you have been believers for a long time, you know what this is talking about. You know what it is to feel shame and guilt. It's one thing that we have secret struggles and battles that perhaps very few or, or in some cases nobody really knows about except God. The scripture addresses those. Those are hard. Psalm 90 verse 7, For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. You have set our, our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. But imagine this, though. Imagine having to look directly into the eyes of the one you have sinned against by your unselfishness, cowardness, and wickedness. Imagine having to look into Jesus' eyes after being embarrassed of him. In how many ways had Peter failed his Lord, his friend, Jesus? He slept when he should have prayed. 
He charged with a sword when he should have stood by quietly trusting Jesus. He fled when he should have gone quietly with the Lord. He denied any association with Jesus when he should have boldly and proudly confessed him before anyone and everyone watching. Yes, I am. I was with him. Peter failed. He sinned very seriously. You know, we fail too. And we sin very seriously too. Thankfully, Jesus had prayed for Peter. He had prayed for him. His faith would not fail. And Peter's faith did not fail. Was he tested? Seriously tested? Severely tested? Yes. Humbled? Yes. How did he do in that test? (laughs) Not, Not real well. About as bad as he could have. You know, God often does the same thing with us. We fail certain tests so we can learn from them. God will allow us to feel the same sting of shame and guilt and bring us through personal failure that makes us weep so bitterly that we don't do it again. Or we're much more on guard against that for the rest of our days. Peter's resolve to associate with Jesus would be sorely tested again many more times in his life. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his restoration of Peter, his ascension into heavenly glory, and then the Holy Spirit's coming upon the apostles, this same man who wept bitterly, who failed Jesus in every way that he could, his cowardice failed his Lord in every way that it could. He would find himself in a similar situation later in Acts chapter 5, after his restoration, after the Holy Spirit came upon him, after he had matured and learned from his failure. Listen to this scene, Acts five twenty-seven, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. Gamaliel the Pharisee, the wise Pharisee, he proceeds to give the council very anti-biblical and foolish advice. He actually makes the incredible argument, hey, if it's of God, you can't go against it. If it's not of God, it will diffuse and come to nothing. Okay, I guess that Islam, Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Christian science religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, they're all true. Because they haven't come to nothing, have they? There's over a billion Muslims in this world. This is the worst advice he could have given them. What he should have said is, let's see what they think the Old Testament means. Let's look at the word of God. Let's open scripture and see if this stuff's true. He goes on to say, Gamaliel says about Peter and John here, I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it's of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to fight against God. And they agreed. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed. Peter departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Was Peter's failure in his face plant, was it wasted on him? No. You and I commit serious sin. We do things that are really foolish. 
shame and guilt and we weep over those things, don't let such things in God's providence be wasted on you. Learn from it. Learn from it the way Peter did. What happened to the sleepy, prayerless, cowardly, sword-swinging crazy man? Intimidated by a little slave girl just a few chapters ago in Luke and Acts. What happened to Peter? He matured. He matured. He needed to face plant like this to break him of his sinful, foolish overconfidence and his spiritual arrogance. It's always better if we just listen to God speaking to us in scripture. I've shared that with, with many people. I share that with myself. It'd be great if I just listened. Just do what God says. But some of us are so pig-headed, stubborn, and unteachable, God has to smack us in the head with a two-by-four to get the point across. But with Peter, Jesus made his point. Peter saw it last. You know what? I'm not all that. I'm not strong. I'm weak. I don't have the courage I thought I did. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I don't have the strongest faith of anyone in the room. I need the power of Christ, and indeed without him, I am absolutely positively nothing. The same Peter who pronounced damnation upon himself in front of everyone, claiming he was not one of Jesus' disciples. I am not one of his disciples. I don't even know who he is. He swore by God he didn't know who he was. He would receive this wonderful restoration after Jesus' resurrection there in John 21. 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, you love this. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, in this sec- this is why I said Jesus is the greatest pastor of all time. The greatest pastor of all time. He could have really cut Peter here. Really, Peter? I'm supposed to know that you love me because I'm all knowing? Why did you swear about my father? You didn't know me then. Why did you call curses down, divine curses, so that no one would know that you were one of my disciples? Why didn't he, what, Jesus say that to him? Peter's already broken here. He's already broken here. Peter needs pastoral care. He needs love and gentleness. You know, it's been said by people outside the Christian church, the Christian army is the only army on earth that shoots its own wounded. When a person feels broken, they see their shame and their guilt, we restore them with the spirit of gentleness. The man in Corinth, remember that guy who had been disciplined for gross sin? He's mentioned by Paul in the second letter that he wrote to them. And Paul tells the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 2, 6, this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. And that's what Jesus is doing to Peter here. He's reaffirming his love for him. You and I are not the Holy Spirit. I can't convict anyone or break anyone. Only the Spirit is able to do that. Only He can show people their, their shame and guilt. Only the Spirit can break the sinner and open blind eyes so people see what they really are. And once the Spirit does that, restoration is needed. Kindness and gentleness is needed. Peter doesn't need any more shame and guilt. He needs love and mercy and tenderness and grace now. And that's exactly what Peter got from Jesus. Peter learned his lesson. And this impetuous, cowardly, brash man, he would become a balanced seasoned, wise Christian man. 
who became a great leader in the Lord's church. And Peter learned the source of his own faith. He learned where it really came from. It didn't come from his own resolve. He learned that the source was not Peter, but Christ. And I want to encourage you, when you read Peter's two little letters that are part of the New Testament, First and Second Peter, remember who it is that's writing this. Remember who he was. First Peter is just five chapters. Second Peter is three chapters. The opening part of this first letter, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's coming from a guy whose faith was tested by fire. The last passage in his second letter, before I read it to you, it has a little more punch to it when we remember who Peter was and what he did. And you have to wonder, historically, if when Peter was in churches, and we know that he was in churches, and he was going around preaching there, and he was primarily the apostle to the Jewish people, and when he was in churches and narratives about his denials were read, or the traditions about those stories were told, and there were new converts to the Christian faith in those congregations, I've always wondered if people sitting near him were like, is that you he's talking about? You, was that, is that you he's talking about? You're, you're, the, you're the Peter he's mentioning? Yes, that's me. Did you really do that? Yes, I really did that. You did that three times? Yes, it was three times. You really cursed yourself? I, yes, I did. In light of that, listen to the last thing Peter wrote in his second letter. 2 Peter three seventeen. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. That has much more punch because of Peter's experience. Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. He's thinking, I was pretty steadfast once myself, and I fell. I fell, and people have been studying it for 2,000 years now. Beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness. How do you do that? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. We hear that from Jesus and we think, yeah, that's cool. That's, yeah, definitely, definitely need to do that a little bit more. No, do it. Watch and pray, he said, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. I know you redeemed people have the hearts of gold and want to do so much good at the beginning of every day. But the flesh is weak, so watch and pray, he says. If at some point at the beginning of every day we don't ask God for help, Help me overcome sin. Help me not to give in to sin when I'm tempted today. We're being very foolish. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Live upon Christ. Rely upon Christ. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Call upon him every hour of the day. Peter looked right into the face of Jesus. He looked right into his face after he cursed himself. I don't know the man. And Jesus is on his way to die for that very sin. You think Peter understood grace? He sure did. He sure did. And all of us should too, if we really know ourselves. Can anything be more humbling to someone to sort of get rid of any, any kind of propensity you have towards arrogance, pride, or self-confidence? That had to have been gone in Peter after that. I think that's one of the reasons Peter was so willing to accept correction from Paul in public. And Paul disfellowshipped himself from table fellowship there with Gentiles and was not straightforward about the gospel. And Paul rebuked him in front of everyone. And Peter received that rebuke and received correction. He learned from this. It wasn't a trial that was lost on him. His failure was redeemed 
and made him a mature man of God. Look at how the Lord was able to use Peter when he raised him back up after this. And so I just say to you in closing, no one is ever so far gone that God can't do something great with them. And what an encouraging thought that is. No matter how we may fall, God can raise us back up, dust us off, and make us better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we can learn here about Peter, about his fall, the steps, the the neglect of prayer, his overconfidence, uh, his vacillating, uh, his being very indecisive, and then his hanging around bad people. May we not duplicate those errors in our own lives. We want to be godly. We want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that we have to be your disciples. Thank you for your grace that forgave Peter of that sin, even while he was committing it. And pray you would help us understand your grace is always greater than even our worst failures, even our worst lapses into sin. And may that motivate us even more to live our lives in gratitude to you and holiness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.